Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, where it's our mission to shield the middle class from the costs and challenges of getting older. If you're looking for previous episodes of this show, go to whp580.com and use the menu in the upper left to find podcasts. There you will find the Later in Life Planning Show. And if you have a phone, and I'm betting you do, you can download an app, the iHeart app, the Spotify app, Apple Podcasts, any, any platform to play a podcast will do, and you will find episodes of the Later in Life Planning Show. And do us a favor, leave us a rating. Don't ask me how it works, but the algorithms really help people find interesting and relevant information. And if you leave us a rating saying this was helpful information, other people looking for the same content will find it. So that'd be great if you could leave us a rating. Shifting to today's subject, later in life planning, I believe, at its core, is tending to your emotional well-being and the emotional well-being of the people you care about the most. And and I, I put this in context by saying I've heard many times from clients at Keystone Elder Law the words, I don't want to be a burden for my kids. Now, setting aside for a moment that the kids probably don't see it that way at all, there is peace of mind that comes from incapacity planning and asset protection. There, there is, there's, a, there's something that happens when you know you've made a plan, you've addressed that little worrying voice in your head, um, and having a financial plan or a legal plan, you, you can put that to rest. Fortunately, I've heard far more often from clients that they feel a weight has been lifted from their shoulders as a result of working with Keystone Elder Law. But today I want to go even broader on the topic of emotional well-being in the later years of life. Sure, having a legal plan, a financial plan, maybe an insurance plan, maybe a funeral plan can quiet down that worrying voice in your head, but there's more to emotional well-being. And you might be surprised about how your emotional health affects your physical health or other aspects of your life. Joining me to discuss this fascinating subject is a professor from Penn State University's Harrisburg campus, Dr. Patty Aguilera. Patty, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Happy to be here. And let's get started. I know this is a subject you love to think about and talk about, and I think people are going to get a whole lot of great information here today and insights from you. But let's let's define what we're talking about, emotional well-being, health. What are we talking about? Well, Patrick, let me tell you first that emotional well-being is part of our, of our mental health. Our mental health has two big areas. One is cognition and one is emotion. Okay. In our cognition side, we have memory, we have perception, logical reasoning, and we may have problems like delusions or hallucinations or memory problems, but that's the cognitive side. We have also the emotional side that helps us to cope with daily life, that help us to have emotional regulation, managing anger, managing joy, managing our emotions. And it is very important to understand, to be aware, and to accept 
the emotions that we are having. So that's emotional well-being. Emotional well-being is our capacity to cope with challenges and to manage our emotions properly. You may think, why? Why is this important? Well, the reason is because our emotional well-being will contribute completely to our well-being, to our overall well-being. It is very subjective. It's something that is going to be different from person to person. And your overall well-being will reflect your level of happiness and your level of life satisfaction. So your emotions will contribute to your happiness and to to your life satisfaction. Sure. And I mean, even in the last, well, we're coming out of COVID. I mean, we saw the stress that that seemed to put on an awful lot of people that it it caused them all kinds of problems beyond just their uh, the stress effect on their immunity, their uh, uh, just their isolation and what that did to people. And that's that's just one one rather significant recent example. But people in the later years of life have marital stress. They have money stress. They have uh, stress over a diagnosis that they receive. There's all kinds of opportunities to cope better with what life throws at you in the, in the second half of life. And that's why it is so important to talk about emotional well-being. Because at the end, as you are wisely saying, we're going to have problems. We're going to face difficulties. That's part of life. However, the way that you approach them will be different depending on your emotions. Sure. Your emotions may have, for example, you may have pain in your knee. But if you have a positive attitude and you are happy, you may be distracted and you don't pay the same attention. I have a senior, once I was telling them, how are, we, how are you doing? And she was like, wonderful, I cannot be better. And the reality was that she was suffering from a lot of pain in many of her joints and it was very hard, but her attitude was so positive that she enjoyed life. Even with those difficulties. And it's amazing that you can see some people who have been through just horrible experiences and they stay light and they stay and everyone, you know, the world is about helping the people around them. And, you know, and other people just can't, they they get mired in the frustration or the stress and it just affects their whole being. And here I'm, I'm, I can't help but be reminded of Viktor Frankl, who, uh, of course, was an Austrian psychiatrist. Uh, he just saw every kind of atrocity in the concentration camps. His own father died of starvation and pneumonia in a concentration camp. His mother and brother were killed in the gas chambers. His own wife died of typhus in the, I believe, the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. So this is a guy who saw awful things, and he's famous for this quote that I think ties into what you're saying. He said, between the stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our freedom and power to choose our responses. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. That's really, I mean, talk about the essence of coping. Something's happening. How are you going to respond? There's a, there's a choice in between that thing happening and how you respond to it. And also meaning, meaning in life that you find meaning in life. Uh, there is a study, and we know by, uh, from research that it depends on your, how many years you think you're going to live is highly related to the actual longevity. And it is related to this, the meaning that you 
having life, how you see things and how you embrace difficulty, like Frank did. Right. It was it was very hard, but it was um, he did it. And there are many strategies for that. And that's something that I would like to talk about. What can we do to promote this overall well-being? And in the first place, I would say humor. Sometimes we think that that we have to be perfect and that we cannot make joke of many things. And it is the opposite. The more you use humor, the better you will be. We know, for example, from research that using humor has positive benefits on your health, your physical health. You produce endorphins. You have lower blood pressure. You, you are less likely to have a heart attack just by laughing constantly. But it has to be an attitude. You need to try to do it. And all the strategies that I'm going to give you today need your attitude. You need to, they need intentionality. If not, things doesn't work. Right. I, I would imagine consistency comes into play. And and before you go further with that, I love the use of humor. You know, I read up on this before you and I met here today um, and, and how it, it exercises the diaphragm. You get more oxygenated blood. Your vascular system works better. Just stuff that would not have been uh, apparent to me. But But let's look at the flip side. I mean, there are circumstances in which anger or frustration might be deemed appropriate under the circumstances. Um, so it's not to say there, that it's bad if you ever feel frustrated, but this is something that in order to make a, a practice or a habit out of a healthier emotional response, you're saying you can engage in tools like humor. Exactly. And you're right. All the emotions are good. Never think that there are bad emotions because they they are never bad. They are part of life and we need them all. But the thing is, after you have the emotion, what do you do with that? What is coming after that? Well and put. that's what makes a difference. Well put. You may laugh about it and say, oh my gosh, that was hard. But remember, it is a decision. Right. It's that choice you're making between stimulus and response. And, and it's never too late to turn it around, too, I imagine, especially if you make a habit of these more constructive strategies that you're going to go into. And and we'll come back to these strategies with Dr. Patty Aguilera from Penn State Harrisburg uh, as, as part of dealing with emotional well-being in the later years of life. We'll come back after a break. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, on WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show, here on News Radio WHP 580. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm your host, Patrick Cauley. My guest today is Dr. Patty Aguilera from Penn State Harrisburg, and we're talking about emotional well-being in the later years of life. And Patty, before the break, you were talking about some strategies that people can use. And it's important you were saying that they use them consistently, that they really make it a habit because then it will be more ingrained. But you were specifically talking about humor, which I I love. Um, Tell me more about this because it seems to me that that humor, in addition to um, setting in motion physiological responses that are are promoting good health, there's also a social aspect to it. I mean, there's a reason why laughter becomes contagious in a room full of people. Um, but but whether it's more on humor or other strategies, please tell me more about how we can make a, a, a practice and a, be deliberate 
about promoting emotional well-being. Yes, Patrick. Well, you beautifully said how humor affects our overall well-being. But also I want to talk about gratitude. Gratitude is another topic that we can practice practice easily and that can have an important impact on your health and in your emotions. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. You can start just thanking everybody every day at your house. If you go to the restaurant, using thanks more often, you're going to see changes. But also, you can be thankful every day. Just naming three three things every single day. They have to be different, though. And you will see how you start training your mind to see the good, to see the positive things. And that impacts directly your emotions too, positively. You can also do letters, thankful letters to your family, to your friends, to people from from your past. And this is very important because we know that gratitude itself decreases depression and anxiety. We know that gratitude improves your sleep, for example. We know that gratitude immediately starts making you feel better. So that's another great strategy that you can use. And, and you know, I, I'll just to play devil's advocate, it's, it seems like I, I know there are listeners out there right now that are saying, wait, I lost my, my spouse. I have cancer. I have all of these difficulties. You're telling me I should be grateful for this. And I love the topic. And it seems to me that, you know, people who have gone through worse uh, trials and tribulations than than most of most listeners of the show certainly more than I have, um, and yet they still find ways to find gratitude. And and sometimes it's harder, I would think. But okay, something really awful happened. What is the silver lining? Maybe it's it brought me closer to my family members that we all went through that together. We had this opportunity, um, you know. But but when you put things in context, what did our our grandparents have? I mean, they didn't have or our great-grandparents, they didn't have, you know, air conditioning. They didn't have all of the, the luxuries that, that we consider commonplace, and yet they were happy and they were grateful. And it's, so, so it's, I think it takes some work, and it, like you're saying, it takes some practice to make it. Let's pick three different things every day, even if it's just, I'm so happy my car is working and getting me where I need to go, or I have shoes, <laughs> you know, whatever it could be. And something very important here, Patrick, you need to switch what lenses are you going to wear. You need to decide that. It is true, you can be focused on the pain of your knees, you can be focused on the losses that you're having, you can be focused on the rain that we have yesterday, or we can be focused on the beauty of the sun. We can be focused on having a house and being thankful, but you need to do it intentionally. Because if not, you can be trapped. And you can be trapped in this pattern of thoughts that put you in a worse situation every time. And instead of feeling better, you are going to go down and down and down. So you need to know that there are consequences on how you manage your life. I cannot tell you that you're not going to have problems or difficult situations. It is life. And in later life, you're going to face other difficulties that the ones that you'd face when you were 50 or 20, but all your life, you will have difficulties. The only thing that we can do 
is to decide how I want to face them. And I want to move from here to another piece that is highly related to how we see things in life, and it is self-acceptance. Self-acceptance is another powerful strategy. It implies that you have a a proper self-concept, that you have a good sense of self-efficacy and a good self-esteem, positive self-esteem. But I want to explain all of them so this is clear. Self-concept is who I am. I have green eyes and that's who I am. It's how I see myself. These things change based on my life. Probably in the past I was excellent runner, but now I can't. I have changed. Now I need to see myself in the way that I am, even though I'm not the same that I was yesterday. But it's important to see ourselves. The second portion is self-efficacy. What are the things that I'm capable of doing and that I know and I'm aware that I can do it? And the third one is self-esteem. I have green eyes. That's my self-concept. Do I like my green eyes? Or I'm saying, oh my gosh, my eyes are so awful. Look at them. They are so green. I wish they were brown or blue. That's self-esteem. How you value who you are and what connotations you give to yourself. Now, all these things are going to change over time. Why? Because they are based on many factors. But you have to start questioning and paying attention to it because that's the only way that you can accept yourself in different stages in life with the changes that you have to embrace because development is like that. You're going to have gains and losses during the whole development. The thing is, you need to accept who you are and love who you are with your new conditions. That is going to be key to be able to relate to others, to be able to face life positively and to have emotional well-being. Now, the reality is that you're going to, to face many changes, but how, I, how you see them will mark a difference. Among other strategies that you can use, for example, is the things that you love. Those things will make you feel good, like music, probably dancing, probably going to church. Those things that you really like, those are always positive strategies to improve your emotions. But one more unimportant thing, positive thinking. You need to start training yourself to see things in a lighter way, in a positive way. Is it something that we are used to? No, of course not. It's very easy to see the negative portion. Why? Evolution. We need to remember the bad things. So we have a tendency to see the bad things, well, faster, Yes, I would say. Our brains are really good at picking out potential threats and and what we should be nervous about and the anxiety goes through the roof. And you're right, that's hardwired. But we can make the choice, you're saying, to to find a positive, even in a, in the face of a threat. Okay, I'm grateful that I have, uh, you know, the following resources to help me. You know, something like that, I think. And the, that's highly related with, with being grateful, but also in everything 
we have both sides, the positive and the negative. We can see a water bottle and say, oh, this is awful. Look at that. It's blue. And I like the ones that are transparent. And I can, or I can say, oh, it's blue, but it has water. And it is helpful for me at this moment. So we can see in every single thing. And I want to invite the audience to do this, to do this at home. Just see something and try to see both sides of any object, any situation. All of them have a positive side and a negative side. If you train yourself to see both, then is the first step for starting choosing. Which one? For choosing, which one do I want? And I would imagine that's in, that exercise works better on the extremes where if you see something you love and you rattled off some of the examples okay, what might be a negative side that somebody might see? Like, oh, I don't go to this church because they play the music too loud. And you say, yes, but it's such beautiful music. Or you can say, oh, this is terrible that I got this diagnosis. But what's the what's the positive? There has to be a positive. There's always the, the polar opposite. And, and, and probably is that you have, that now, now you know it. Yeah. And now you can face it. Right. And probably if you wouldn't know it, probably you wouldn't have these tools to work with it. Right. If it is too late, it's too late. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. That My guest today is Dr. Patty Aguilera from Penn State Harrisburg. More with, with Patty in a moment on the Later in Life Planning Show. You are listening to News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I am your host, Patrick Cauley, and today my guest, Dr. Patty Aguilera from Penn State Harrisburg, and I are discussing the strategies that might be helpful to promote emotional well-being in the later years of life. And Patty, you were talking about humor, you were talking about gratitude, um, you know, and how you it, there, it's about making a choice in the face of something you like or something you don't like. There's always a flip side. Which are you going to focus on? Before uh, we came back from a break, our wonderful producer, Art Selby, uh, asked a question about whether uh, if Notre Dame football or the Orioles lose, uh, is it OK to be sad or is there some strategy? I think he might be a special case. We'll have to have a whole separate show on Art, but you are you have lots to say about all these these effects that that the environment can can play and how you choose your response. I wanted to note one in particular. There's this meme that's popular online and it's a cartoon picture of some people on a bus. On one side of the bus they're looking out at this beautiful forest on a beautiful sunny day. The other side of the bus is is looking at this dark rocky side of a cliff and the faces of the people reflect their mood. The people on the rocky side they're all sad. The people looking out at beautiful nature, uh, they're all happy. And I didn't realize until recently there's actually a study that this comes from where people in a hospital were all studied and the people who had a beautiful view from their hospital room recovered in measurably better ways and left the hospital earlier uh, compared to the patients who did not have such a nice view. So just just I thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, I'm a big fan of getting out into nature and, and I... I don't know how the mechanism works, but it but there's something about it uh, that that can affect emotional well-being. That's just my two cents. Definitely, definitely, there is a whole movement of 
nature as a as a way, well, as a tool for healing because we know that nature itself has healing properties. So you are correct, Patrick. But it's not only nature. It's all the things that you like, for example, and even if you don't like it, that you have to try new things. Breathing. Breathing techniques, for example. We know there is a lot of research that says that you can improve your physical health just by learning breathing techniques or mindfulness, for example. Um, as you said, going to nature or enjoying time with people. I was thinking about the sport teams, and it's not just about the sport teams. It's about the relationships and about with whom you you enjoy these things. That's another big strategy to improve your emotional well-being. Relationships and having meaningful relationships will be protective for your health and it will promote longevity. We don't want to live 150 years, but the, the years that we're living, we want to have them with quality of life. So relationships are going to be very important. And I would like to, to go from here to interdependence because relationships are very important but only if we accept them, only if we are ready for them. If not, we may be isolated, we may pay very costly services, we may have low quality of life, we may have a lot of emotional difficulties if we don't allow ourselves to be with people. And I'm not talking about being with Everybody, you don't have to be very social. You don't have to, you need to, as I said before, you need to accept who you are. That's a very important piece. But you need close relationships that are meaningful to you. That's something that we know that is highly related with uh, positive health in general, mental and physical in later life. And I should know, you are touching on a subject that is of great importance and near and dear to the hearts of everyone at Keystone Elder Law because I, I want to I don't think it's an exaggeration to say not a week goes by where we don't hear from the adult child or the spouse of somebody who is clearly slipping in some way physically cognitively and they need help but they refuse the help they they're grasping and I, I don't know if it's a loss of control so as you get older you know you lose maybe some physical mobility you lose your friends you lose uh you know all kinds of things so you're there's it's an exercise in managing how you're losing control as you live longer sometimes but they hold on they cling uh fiercely to their independence but i think that's an illusion thinking that that we are as independent as some people seem to think they are we are all interdependent in some way but but that breakthrough just takes time before they start to accept the support and as i said earlier a lot of them will say i don't want to be a burden to my family members well i don't think they think of it that way i think they relish the opportunity to show support you know especially if it's the child who you raised you know they want to return the favor so i don't know how much of this um you've seen in 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 uh, people where they just refuse to accept it. But I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you said, that 
the flip side of of clinging to your own illusion of in, of independence means probably not great outcomes in a lot of different ways. Exactly. And it is not just about later life. The reality is that the culture of independence is promoted constantly. Oh, I'm sure. During during our whole life, but it has a greater negative effect when we are older. The reality is you are hearing all the time, don't be needy. You have to be strong. Right. You have to do it yourself. Oh, asking for help is being weak. So this culture of independence is all the time in our lives. And the consequences are that we think that we are vulnerable if we are asking for help. And we don't want to be vulnerable. Or at least seen that way. Even if we know that we are, we don't want to be seen as weak or vulnerable. Even though we are always vulnerable and we need people all the time. If you're in college, even though you are living in your apartment, you cannot thrive if you don't have good services around you and people that can help you, for example. And that it is, and I'm mentioning college students because this is the same in every stage. In every stage, as you said, we are with people and we depend on each other. If not, we're going to, we have problems. Doesn't matter how old are you. How, now, why interdependence sounds so scary? Number one, because we're not used to it. There is a very interesting study between Japan and U.S., is about what are the main factors that relate to well-being. And in U.S., it was sense of control, you know? And Japan was relational harmony, for example. The cultures itself promote different things. However, in this study, they also found that there was a a high correlation between well-being and relational harmony within U.S. participants. So we are affected by, we are just not promoting it right. very often. It, it even comes up in the language that we use. That there's a, a very popular American phrase going to that independence that you were talking about is the squeaky wheel gets the grease. The this, this similar saying in Japan is the nail that stands out gets pounded down. <laughs> in other words, you're part of a community. Exactly. Yes. So, you know, it's, it's deep in the psyche when it becomes part of the language. And, and we have to understand that. We need to understand that it is true when you're interdependent, you're going to lose a little bit of power because you're sharing it with the other person. And it is true, you're going to become vulnerable, but you're not, but you're not going to be dependent so you don't have to be fearful because interdependence is not about dependency or, code- or, or be codependent. It is about allowing other, another person to be part of your world and sharing things. It's more uh, related to reciprocity than dependence. But it is scary. And for many people, it's very, very scary. Well, why or how can we get into the, the thought of interdependence? Number one, thinking about relationships. Relationships allows us to trust others and to receive and give things. And that's a very important piece for interdependence. Also, we need to work on the positive view of it. 
what are the positive things of inter interdependence? Please think about it a little bit. Right. And, and I'll tell you, interdependence even comes in when we look at those positives. We, we start to realize it even in, in everybody's healthy and we do legal estate planning. Well, there's going to be people who might be helping you in, in a moment of incapacity. I, so we address inter interdependence even when everybody's still healthy because better to do it then before you are in a critical state. Uh, but it, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that if you go to KeystoneElderLaw.com and use the workshops tab, you can get registered for a free workshop. I do them pretty much every week uh, online. You can take it in from the comfort of your home and learn all about uh, the legal planning. But we'll speak more about this inter interdependence and emotional well-being when we come back in a moment. You're listening to News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm Patrick Colley. I'm your host. And my guest today is Dr. Patty Aguilera from Penn State Harrisburg. We've been discussing emotional well being, all of the, uh, the impact on physical health, the making a choice uh, to see things in a positive light and the various strategies that will allow you to do that. Patty, right before the break, you were speaking uh, with some detail about interdependence and the value of it, uh, and then going into, again, the strategies of how do you make that more palatable to people, how do, people who are resistant to, I don't know, establishing a trust, giving up some control in order to have interdependence. And you were talking about, well, start with seeing the positives of doing that uh, you know what what good can come of relying on or depending on another person because it's a two-way street as you were saying there it's not just you uh getting help you're giving something in that interaction as well yes patrick but before we continue with the strategies i want to point out something important we are fearful of interdependence because sometimes previous experiences. It is true. Sometimes we, we have been rejected or we asked for something and people should don't, they didn't, they were not able to help us, for example. And that, as we said before, we have memory. And those things, those negative things stay with us and prevent us from doing something different. However, and we all want to stay safe. So we want to stay safe, but we need to manage risk tolerance. Yes. And risk tolerance is, well, that was in the past, but that doesn't happen. Doesn't have to be now again, for example. Or that was with that person, but not everybody is the same. So we need to analyze the situation. We need to analyze people with whom we want to establish these relationships where we can create this interdependence. Now, sometimes interdependence itself is related to reciprocity. That's a fact. And sometimes we think that we don't have things to give. And because we don't have things to give, we don't ask for help. Because we cannot uh, get, get, well, give back. But what I want people to think is this is a transformation process. You need to start changing the way that you see things in life, at least related to, to interdependence. 
in your cognition, in your thought, you have to start thinking. Well, I need an interpersonal disposition. Why? Because I need help in many ways. And I hope this is not just for older adults, but for everybody. If we, if we collaborate more, we have better results, no matter our age. But being older adults definitely is more. Now I need, I cannot shovel myself, for example. I may need more help. I need to go to the doctor and I don't drive anymore. Or I don't see as well as in the past and I need to drive. So there are many ways that you're going to change that definitely requires interdependence. Yeah, and and I think what you're doing is a logical exercise where you're finding evidence for the idea that I need it. Um, The flip side is the people who say something and they haven't gone through this kind of exercise where, for example, as I said earlier, the, the, the older adults who say to me, I don't want to be a burden on my children. Well, let's test that a little bit. Are you really being a burden to them? Uh, do you have any evidence that this is not something that they actually enjoy, you know, spending time with you? Uh, you know, that this is an opportunity maybe to bring the grandchildren. You know, there's there's any number of reasons why you could test that in the same logical way and say, well, these are all the reasons that I do need interdependence. Now let's test in the same way my arguments against it. Like, well, I don't want to be a burden. I have nothing to give. Is that really true? I doubt it. You know, and, and then you look for, for the evidence against what, what you keep telling yourself. And that's why self, self-acceptance is so important. Because the moment that you recognize that you have needs, then you can be more open to this transformation process. And, and that, that, that doesn't make you uh, bad or that you are wrong. It's you are changing. Right. And that's fine. That's fine. But you need this new attitude in your cognition, in your thoughts, to say, I want to have this interpersonal disposition where I can ask for help. As you said, let, let me share a personal example. I had the privilege to take care of my grandmother when she was in her later life. And I felt so, so honored for doing it. And those are some of my best memories, just being next to her, helping her, being with her. But another thing that we have is when you don't ask for help, we cannot give you help. And I'm going to share another example. I have a very close friend that I love a lot, but she never asks for help. And every, and even if I want to, she's so afraid to be dependent. She's so afraid to be seen as weak that I, I, I don't offer it anymore. And what I want you to think with this is we need to express our needs. Our wants and our needs are very important. But if we don't express it, people are not going to know. And it's not selfish to do that. From everything you just said, if your grandmother had not allowed you the opportunity, she would have been denying you what sounds like it was a significant formative memory for you that you you will always have. Um, you know, and it's not selfish to say, uh, you know, I, I just can't do this anymore. I, I need someone else to to pick up this this part of my life uh, and help me with it because you're 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 just establishing a bond. That's looking for the positive. You're 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 strengthening a relationship by by doing that. And something important too, 
as I said before, this is about reciprocity, but also self-acceptance. Sometimes we think that now we are not valuable, but we don't think about the many things that we did in our life. And sometimes it's like, oh, I cannot give back. Okay, but you changed the diapers, but you brought them to this game, but you did many things. And think, I really like the concept of relational harmony. Think of the many things that you have done in this world that because of that, you are worthy. And because of that, you deserve reciprocity. Probably at this point, you cannot give in the same way that you gave before. But that doesn't mean that you haven't done many things. So be a gracious receiver. Because if you allow yourself to be a gracious receiver, people can give you. And then we can really have the interdependence concept as something positive and not as a burden. But again, it is about self-acceptance. It's about seeing, for example, this is a homework for everybody. Do a positive autobiography. Check all the things that you did in your life and mark the positive side. The negatives, yes, they are part of our life. But try to focus on the good ones, the things that you did for others, the things that you did for the world, the things that you did in your job. You might need more than one piece of paper. Hopefully you have a book. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you have a book. But that will allow you to enjoy interdependence because then you know that you're worth it and that you can as I said, be a gracious receiver and enjoy it. Not feeling that you're aborting, not feeling that you owe something because you're, you already gave many things to the world in many ways, but you need to see it. You don't see it, then you don't accept help. Right. And, and this seems to me that uh, from an earlier conversation we had, it relates to not just seeing your worth but having compassion for yourself as well. And it's, it's, you have to do, the, I think, the first thing. You have to know just objectively on the paper, it appears I've done some good things in my life, and then have the compassion to allow yourself to be vulnerable, to uh, be accepting of help, and to understand that because you are a person who is, is worthy of that help, you are probably giving something in return, that reciprocity you spoke of. Definitely, definitely. And something that is important is plan for it. Plan for interdependence and see it as part of your general plans. In the same way that you're going to plan your assets, for example, plan for interdependence. Start thinking, what would be the trigger point for me? Um, who are the people that I want to ask for help? Talk about your expectations. And please be educated about the services that we have. The AAA, the government has a lot of services, but you need to plan so you can use them and, and I, rely on others. Absolutely. And there, there are more and more resources than there ever were before. I talk about a lot of that in one of my workshops that I do online about long-term care strategies and uh, certainly the options and levels of care one aspect of what you were just describing. That's at KeystoneElderLaw.com. Use the workshops tab. Dr. Patty Aguilera, thank you so much for these insights that you've shared today. Thank you, Patrick. I hope they are helpful for others. I'm sure it will be. Join me again next week for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show right here on News Radio WHP 580.